In this episode, we're going to look at what makes property prices go up and down. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy a workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. During our three-year journey to help first-time buyers, we have found an increasing number of you want us to help you guide them on your rent-vesting journey. So, due to popular demand, we are bringing you the very first Where to Buy Workshop Investor Edition. We are indeed, and this is very exciting for us, I tell Mm. you. This is the culmination of over 40 years' experience that we're going to teach you step-by-step, not where you should buy but this is not the answer (laughs) this is not the golden bullet (laughs) not the silver bullet it is we're going to teach you how to properly research this vast wild country of ours to be able to work out where you should look to investigate to buy your investment property it's a really really important skill that you learn how to critically look at data information what the important things are and we're going to teach you how to do it when are we going to do it we're doing it on the veronica i don't have that in front of me oh well that's okay i'll step in because we're a team and we are going to do the where to buy workshop investor edition on wednesday the 24th of november 2021 7 till 9 p.m australian eastern daylight time so that's basically sydney melbourne time six Six to eight eight if you're in In brisbane and yep. I can't remember if you're in Adelaide and elsewhere, but basically half an hour behind. Yep. live to you on Wednesday, 24th of November, we are bringing you the Where to Buy workshop. So if you want to tune in, the link is in the show notes. In a booming property market, you could be forgiven for thinking that prices always rise, but we can assure you that they don't always go up. Today, we're going to be talking about what drives prices up, but also what could make them fall. But before we get into that, Megan's got an interesting house that she's sitting in front of that she's going to tell us all about. It looks to me like it might be a barge. (laughs) It's pretty close, Veronica, for those of you who watch rather than just listen to the podcast. Yes, every week I do a different house that I found somewhere that's really interesting. And this one is the floating house in Seattle, Washington, 
I think it looks amazing. It's one of the best that I've seen. So I, lo- I love the way that you could actually go down the still steps there into the water. Love it. It's got like a pool ladder off the side of it. <laughs> it, it looks like it's docked. It's sort of the architectural merit, though, is but sort of looks a bit I more really like a like service it. station than a house. But um. but there's something about <laughs> it that's actually quite, um, we have a few uh, architects up here that do really contemporary additions to Queenslander style houses and, and they, they have that sort of very similar architectural style. So I quite like it and I actually use, I like the external materials I've used as well. So very interesting one. It's quite commercial looking, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's warm and inviting. You know? Warm but, and inviting. Do you know what? It's yeah, art, art, what is it? Um, the love of art is in the eye of the beholder, and I think beauty. architecture is quite similar. Beauty is in the eye beauty, of the beholder. Yes. Thank you. Thank I you. Think, I think those analogies are just wrong. spot on about that. So let's start <laughs> talking about prices rising or falling, because in that particular property would be rising and falling with tide, but uh <laughs> we're not we're not talking about the time that could be the case but you know at its most simplest the property market is all about supply and demand there are other factors that influence and we're not saying that these are the only two things that influence but if there are a lot of buyers around and not enough property for sale then generally speaking all other things being equal prices go up On the other hand, if there's a lot of property on the market and there aren't a lot of buyers, no one's around buying, then prices will generally fall. So it is just your basic economics. We all did it at high school. You know, some of us sat through it and enjoyed it. Others yawned and wondered why they needed to know this basics. (laughs) Do I really need to know this out in the real world? Well, yeah, it, it does actually influence. So it's an important one to understand. So to understand what makes prices go up or down, we need to look at what brings more or less listings onto the market and what factors encourage more or less active buyers. So let's start with what influences supply. So, you know, there's established property and then there's new property. So I Mm. guess the immediate thing that comes to mind when you think about supply is like a new subdivision or a new development. So you've got a a new building going up with lots of apartments going in it or you've got a new land release with lots of new blocks of land. That's Mm. an immediate increase um, to supply. Yep. Happens pretty quickly too. Well, you know, we feel like it happens pretty quickly, but it actually takes a long time to get things, these things off the ground. They've usually been in development phase or, or approval phase for a long period of time. But there's really massive complexes, for instance. There's been some in Sydney that have been, you know, massive redevelopments and Green Square and places like that. that really, they've been rolling it out over a decade. Mm. So, so there's constant new buildings being built until they finally get yeah. to the, the final stage. So, mm. And this is one of the reasons we talk about supply um, when we look at, well, there's things that you need to be considering when you're buying a property is that ongoing supply of other stock that's going to be very mm. similar to what you're buying what's because coming when there's up. lots of it, then that's mm. a definite uh, dampener on price growth. So that's one of the factors. But then let's look at the established market for a moment and let's look at the things because everyone's complaining at the moment, as, as they often do, is that there's no stock in the market, you know. Yeah, we're, guess- we're end of September 2021. Yeah, um, we're we're really in the midst of a an, an unexpected boom in buyer activity and price yes. rises. 
and not enough stock across the country mm-hmm. in many cases. But in other cases, not so much. We'll talk a bit, a bit about mm-hmm. that coming up. But one of the things that encourages people to put their property on the market, because that's what we're talking about, when, when supply goes up, that's when more people are listing. So it's not just one person or one couple getting a divorce or, you know, <laughs> one person having another baby and needing, you know, needing a more bigger space. house. Yeah. This, this is about en masse what what actually increases supply levels. And, and one of the things that en masse encourages people to list their properties when they're confident that they're going to get their price that they want. Mm. Or a price that might blow their mind. You know, so we, 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 talk, we, we hear about that, don't we? People going, yeah. well, I'd sell if I could get this. <laughs> one, of, one of those things, as an owner, you, you can sort of say that because if you haven't got a sell but you would sell at a certain price, then that might... Um, encourage your confidence to do that. So when a lot of people have that confidence, then you're going to you're going to see more impact on supply. The other thing, though, there's a bit of a problem in a rising market when you've got low supply is that those owners who might sell, would be prepared to sell, want to sell, they've got to be confident that they can actually find the next property yeah. they're going to buy. Mm. And so that's one of the things that holds back on listings levels is the fact that, well, what am I doing? So that's great. I sell. I get the price. I get a dream price. But if I can't buy back into the market, it's all been for nothing. So those mm. people aren't going to sell their properties. Yeah, particularly if they want to upgrade to something larger or more prestige. Uh, and, and in the industry, it's sort of colloquially known as a bottleneck. So it's where mm-hmm. there's a huge amount of buyers and there's willing sellers who would actually sell, but they can't buy anything because those sellers or owners of of the properties that they might want to buy aren't ready to sell or willing to sell until they can find. So it's almost like that 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 deck of cards that kind of gets sort of stopped because there's nowhere for anyone to go. The domino um, effect. Yeah, it is a it's little bit like of a domino effect. But a, a bit of bottleneck. Domino it's, you know, missing. all of these people sort of pushing up to a very small number of properties. <laughs> I just think the domino's been taken out of the row and so they all fall down and then just stop and then nothing happens from that Nothing on. happens after that. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell what I spent my childhood doing. Um, now, other thing too, there's certain areas and locations where they're very what's called de- tightly held, so mm. a desirable location where people actually once they get in there, they don't want to sell because they know how hard it was to get in there in the first place. So you'll <laughs> find that there's there's usually constrained supply in those areas. But then there's other areas where particularly, you know, you talk about lockdown and COVID and all the rest, there's a lot of talk about financial stress and mortgage Mm. stress. Mm. And so when you get a lot of uh, concentration of owners that might be of the same sort of socioeconomic grouping or they've got very similar, they all work in the same industry or it's in a location where there's only one employer. One employer. And Mm. the employer goes bust or, you know, tourism areas, for instance, if if everyone's got the same financial situation, Mm. particularly in new developments as well where potentially everyone bought in sort of pretty much at the same time they've all borrowed the same amount of money they're all working similar jobs and and Mm. then all of a sudden something happens in that area or location that causes all of those people a lot of those people to have financial hardship then you're going to see a lot of property come on the market all at one Mm. time Mm. so that's uh, that's a real problem with supply 
Yeah, so so there's there's sort of positives and negatives with that supply equation, isn't it? Because if there's too much, you know, it, it goes in the negative direction in terms of prices, and if there's not enough, then it goes in the upward directions in terms of prices. But but the other side of that supply and demand equation is, of course, the demand, which is the number of people who are looking for certain property at certain points in time. So let's have a look at that now. What we call e access to easy money is is really how affordable it is um, to buy from a, a lending point of view. So it's it's often low, considered low interest rates or um, the ability to access money to finance the pur- purchase of property. So demand can often be increased because money is cheap, um, which is you know a, a common sort of way of saying you know low interest rates. Um, lending criteria might be reasonable for people to access money. So. So that can bring a lot more demand into the market. If people look at, you know, maybe at a higher interest rate, you could only afford X amount of um, purchasing power, but at a lower interest rate, you could actually afford a higher price property, then, you know, that gives you more borrowing capacity or more, more buying power. Confidence is a really big thing when it comes to demand. And, and that's how people feel. It's sentiment. It, mm. it is just purely emotionally how people feel about the economy. It's how they feel about what the property market's doing. It's about how they feel about their jobs. It's about how they feel about the future. Confidence is such a powerful thing when it comes to demand, because when people don't feel confident, and, and the GFC was a really big a really big dip in confidence during that point in time because no one really had been through such a big dip since 80s, 90s sort of era. Um, and, and that was probably the last time that confidence was really quite low in terms of what does our financial future look like? What, what are our jobs prospects look like? What, what could happen with our income over a period of time? So confidence is a really big factor. And you'll find that a lot of the big financial institutions and some of the, the larger um, research houses actually do very often survey confidence. So you'll th- hear things like investor confidence and business confidence and and those sorts of things. These surveys are, I guess, a bit of a, a test to see how people are feeling about the economy. Now, it doesn't sort of drive prices, but it is a factor in demand. FOMO is a massive one that we see <laughs> during periods of high price growth um, where demand outstrips supply and, and it's called a seller's market. And FOMO, you know, that big, massive fear of missing out on what's going on can make a huge difference in the amount of demand that there is for, for opportunities in the property market. And and and, and particularly, you know, we see this spy behaviour of people going, oh, I missed out on that, therefore I have to pay that plus that next time because if I miss out again i'm going to have to pay that plus that plus that and then you know they start adding figure numbers to the the last time and you know we even do it we say well you know at the moment it someone paid that for it last week but what's it worth this week and it's sort of this 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 um buyer behavior of if i don't do something i'm going to miss out and that that big fear of missing out that but actually also- brings people into the market yeah, you know, does. so so particularly the toilet with toilet paper home. factor. <laughs> yeah, 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 the toilet paper factor in COVID was just <laughs> it just defies logic why people thought you had to run out and get toilet paper, but it happened. It was that fear. Well, what if I don't have toilet paper? I yeah, have to go and have toilet paper. <laughs> so it's self-generating, really, because it's it 
So, you know, with FOMO, like I know a lot of first home buyers decide they're going to get in the market earlier. So they'll pay lenders mortgage insurance, for instance, Mm -hmm. in order to get into the market because they're fearful of missing out if they let it go, if they let it run on them. So that that does bring new, you know, more entrance into the market. So Mm -hmm. once again, like the toilet paper thing, like you say, it's self-fulfilling. But that's sort of, remember back in 2017, there was a thing called Fongo. Did you did you ever hear Fongo? Tell tell me about remind Fear me what it was. Fear of not getting out. <laughs> so the other so, side was a Sydney and Melbourne thing, wasn't it? Because yeah, definitely. Quite, yeah, quite a dip. So when you when prices go down, then then you can equally be fearful and you think, oh my god, I've got to get out now, and that that sort of comes back to the actual supply thing. So when prices start falling, Fongo actually leads to more listings coming on the market. People think, oh my god, the market has passed mm. the peak; it has already peaked, and I've got to get out now before I lose even more money. So that's this mm. perception mm. that can drive listings coming onto the market. So that's the um the other side of the fo- the FOMO coin. Oh, God, that's interesting, isn't it? Bongo. Acronyms. And uh, uh, the other NIMB, ones. NIMBY's my favourite. Nothing to do with, with buying property, but once you're an owner, you might become a NIMBY if you're NIMBY. <laughs> Not community. in my backyard. Not in my backyard. <laughs> so, one of the things Any that progress. actually, one of the things that can, can impact demand is also the market can overstretch itself and mm. get vendors can get too greedy. They can start setting reserves that are too high. And so when reserves are too high, like at auction, for instance, and the prices aren't met by the buyers, even if they're competitive, even if there's a lot of buyers in the market, what can happen is that there comes a tipping point where the uh, clearance rates start to fall. And it's not necessarily reflecting buyer interest, it's reflecting vendor greed. And so the buyers just go, you know what, I'm over it. I've got decision fatigue. I've had enough. You guys are just out of control. I'm not matching you anymore. I'm not not playing. I'm going to chuck my toys out not of the cot that far. and I'm mm. going home. I'm not playing anymore. And we often have seen that in the certainly in the Sydney cycle, in the, the annual cycle, you would see mm. that in a hot market, typically sort of entering into the spring market where you see a bit more supply come on because buyers think, I mean, sorry, owners think spring's the best time to sell. Agents, yeah. you know, they do perpetuate this sort of, it's a bit of a myth. And then buyers go, oh, great. I don't feel There's as much pressure. From. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And I'm over but it. FOMO it's dissipates a little bit. Yeah. What was that? Yeah. Well, FOMO dissipates a little bit because yes. it, it, it's not that that running to keep up kind of comes back a little bit when vendors get greedy because buyers think, yeah, no, I think there's better value somewhere else. So the value proposition becomes a little bit more apparent in the marketplace when vendors get a little bit greedy. And when we mm. say greedy, what we're saying is if a, a comparable house sold for, you know, a, a million and 20 and a vendor says, well, I want 1.15 um, and it's a week after the sale of a million and 20, then then they're, they're really stretching it above and beyond what the market thinks they should pay for that property. So that, yep. that's what we mean by buyers, uh, vendors getting, owners getting a little bit greedy. But, you know, you're right. If buyers get to that point. You know, demand can actually be influenced and, and, and change because buyers get decision fatigue. And it may be that there's too much to, for them to choose from or there's not enough for them to choose from or the choices have too many compromises or, um what they've got to, you know, particularly what they've got to comprise in, in the three Ps, your position, your property, your price, what they've got to compromise on just becomes too great. 
Uh, so that decision fatigue of, oh, is this ever going to end? I just need a break. I, just, I can't deal with this anymore. And they step back from the market. And if a whole lot of people do that in, at, a, at a similar point and there's still a good amount of supply, then the demand supply equation can shift very rapidly in the opposite direction. Opportunity there, yeah, maybe, but, you know, you've got to have your your strategic thinking hat on rather than your emotional hat on. Government and it does incentives, happen. Yeah, it, but it, and we see it. Don't we? You, we, you we know, when it. I was years and years and years ago, I'm going way back in my youth, when I was working in a restaurant, I worked in a restaurant that had a pretty old-fashioned menu, <laughs> and there was this thing called a veal Oscar, right? It was <laughs> basically veal asparagus and something else, I can't remember, maybe hollandaise or something. And it would be weird. We used to joke. It would be just some nights. It was almost like every single guest that came into the restaurant would meet around the corner and go, I'm going to order the veal Oscar tonight. <laughs> There'd just be veal Oscar nights. And it's just like this weird thing. It's like they'd all spoken to each other, but they hadn't, obviously. But And and that's sort of what can happen in the property market too. It's almost like everyone's just decided veal Oscar is what they're having tonight. Just I've had enough. Of They've decisions. all had enough at the same time. I don't want to look time. at the whole menu. Yes. I just want to go with what I know. <laughs> <laughs> and for some home buyers and for some investors, going with what you know is just to go, I'm pulling up stumps, I'm not doing anything. Mm. You know, that's yep. kind of your comfort position. I just won't make a decision right now. Government incentives can have a big impact on demand too and it can sway the kind of properties that people buy so it can actually bring in more demand but it could change the demand for the type of property as well, which isn't mm. always a good thing. Um, and it, it's something that we talk about in your first home buy guide quite a lot is making sure you don't make a big decision like buying a property on based on the incentives that you're given to at a certain point in time um prudential regulations talk us through this veronica because that has a huge impact on demand sometimes depending on what happens with with changes to policy yeah well you think about it at the moment i mean we're recording this at the end of september i think we'll go live in october and unless things change you know we've got very low interest rates and there's a lot of call on the rba the, Re- the reserve bank of australia who controls interest rates and there's a lot of call on apra so that's the australian prudential regulator um you know and asic and all those regulators to actually try to control or put a mm. handbrake on the property market because, yeah. of course, prices are going crazy and there's a lot of talk about unaffordability, et cetera, et cetera. Now, all of these regulators do have their certain areas that they're meant to be controlling, and one of them is household spending and debt levels and that, that sort of thing. But, you know, it's a complicated you know, the economy is complicated. Interest mm. rates don't just impact on price, on house prices. They impact on a whole bunch of other things. And so they can't just change it because prices are rising. There's other reasons why interest rates are low. And so, but what they will do is start flexing their muscle in various ways if they feel the property market is running too hard. Now, back in uh, 2017, when Sydney and Melbourne were booming and we were sort of at the end of five years of you know, straight property price rises. And there was a lot of investor activity at that time. A lot. In fact, actually, it was earlier than 2017. The market peaked in 2017. But back in 2016, APRA actually started controlling um, or putting in place controls around investor lending because investors had got up to about 60% of the property market, buying property, way too high. Out of whack. 
Yeah. Mm. So prices have been pushed up by investor activity, not like now it's actually owner-occupier activity. Mm. And so what they did, they put in place restrictions on the bank. So each bank had to had to keep under a threshold for a percentage of, lend, of borrowing or lending mm. going to investors. They had to put disincentives in place like higher they discount. Fixed, they couldn't yeah. discount their variable rates, the standard variables. That's it. And then mm. they also, there was a real issue with um, interest-only lending. God, I had a mental mm. blank there. So a lot of investors will will borrow interest only. So they're not paying back any of the principal of that loan. Mm. And so from a tax perspective, their accountant would be recommending that that might be a good thing to do. And so so therefore, um, another area that APRA could exercise control is to say, well, you know what, banks, you, you have to cap the amount of investor um, interest-only lending that you have. So all these things came into play and they did to actually have the effect of taking out quite a lot of investors out of the market and also limiting the amount of money that a lot of these investors could actually borrow. And so back to what brings, what increases demand is easy access to money. They control the easy access to money for a part of the market. And that ultimately had the knock-on effect of causing the market to stop growing. And so it, it precipitated the end of that boom. And so that's what everyone's watching for at the moment. Are they going to step in? Are they going to do anything about this? Because obviously that's quite powerful and they know that and they've got to be very careful how they execute that. But it's, it's certainly such knock-on effects, Veronica, mm. for those sorts of decision-making. We're actually seeing that in the investment um, space at the moment. You know, there's a, there's a, a huge knock-on effect to um to to rental properties at the moment because mm. investors were squeezed out of the market through these anyway we digress but that we that's a, a whole nother topic in and of itself because these sorts of things that are um that you know may be thought to have one impact often have consequential in- impacts that were not anticipated uh, and and, and they, they can have you know far-reaching effects further down the track. So anyway, back to supply and demand, which is what we're talking about today. Yep. So supply and demand is what creates market conditions in in you know all other things being equal. And that's where we're in a buyer's market and prices are generally falling. So where the buyers have the power because there is a lot more property um, property for sale than there are buyers to buy those properties or whether we're in a seller's market where prices are rising and that's where sellers have the power because there are more buyers and that equals more competition for each property. But, of course, not all areas will experience the same market conditions at the same time, and and we often see this across the country. We see different markets performing at different rates, and that's because the supply and demand equation is is different in er different areas. Um, And there's been some years where some of our cities, like Perth and Darwin, have had falling prices, where other cities like Melbourne and Sydney have had rising prices, and vice versa. I mean, we had Mm. Hobart having a massive run on prices. We've had Sydney and Melbourne having drops, Brisbane having modest rises. Even these things don't happen in any kind of um, equal kind of numbers either. You know, they, they don't happen at the same time, but they don't happen in equal rises and falls. Um, or sometimes within one location for, you know, you talk about Brisbane, where units have been known to experience price falls at the same time that houses are going up. And, and I think even Largely across the country, we've been seeing that during this house price increase, yeah. this, this, this seller's market, which is in most locations around the country at the moment, um, 
new units or, or resale of newer kind of units just haven't experienced that same sort of growth on resale. So these things, everything is not equal and everything can't be put in the same homogenous kind of um, ba- basket where you say this is happening, therefore everything is going to go in the same direction. And and I guess you and I talk a lot about you, you just can't buy a property and think that just because you buy a property, it's going to do well. <laughs> Like no. Get in regardless. Doesn't matter what you buy, where you buy it. Just make sure you get in. You know that that piece of advice I think is one of the worst pieces of property advice I've ever heard in my life. Oh god, yeah. I mean, look, yeah, exactly. I mean, COVID has has really impacted on the inner city uh, property markets in apartments, in particularly in Sydney and Melbourne. You know, mm-hmm. and Melbourne has has been struggling for years in the inner city market, and Sydney's you know copped it big time. So, so what's really going on? I guess what's going on when you've got a situation where different cities can perform differently at the same time, or within a city, different types of properties or different locations can perform differently, and this is all partly about land value. You know, there are some places where land is more valuable than others. For example, Sydney land is more expensive than in Newcastle. So the same type of house. So say you're looking at a double-fronted Federation family home on 600 square metres with a pool. If that same house was in a, in a nice suburb in Sydney and then you had exactly the same type of home in a really nice suburb in Newcastle, it's going to be still more expensive in Sydney than it is in Newcastle because the land is more expensive. Because you can't reproduce the land. No, and also that Unless that is an area release. where land is yeah. more expensive. <laughs> yeah. And so likewise, if you compared Melbourne and Geelong, you would have the similar thing. Some suburbs can have similar types of ha- homes and yet the home that sort of looks like pretty similar to, to another one in Melbourne in Geelong, it's going to be a lot less expensive because land in Geelong is less expensive. And it's also about the property itself though because a unit in Brisbane City doesn't have the same number of people aspiring to own it as would a lovely Queenslander in, say, Ashgrove, you know. So the lovely Queenslander. It's not the lifestyle that, that that particular demographic is looking for. Not as many buyers, mm. effectively, you know, in that, in that demographic. Um, and so obviously the lovely Queenslander's price would grow faster than the unit's price because of that sheer pressure of more interest in the property. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. It's important to understand that land generally appreciates in value while buildings depreciate. They go down, land goes up, buildings go down, generally speaking, unless there's an endless supply of land. And that's why buying new house and land packages are problematic. The building's value is going to go down while the land value could also be going down. So you can have that double negative happening when there's more land to be released in a big subdivision or or a greenfield site. And then on the flip side, you get the situations where the actual building's value can appreciate purely because of its uniqueness and scarcity. So a really beautifully renovated Victorian terrace in Paddington in Sydney, for instance, that's scarce. You know, so it's sort of, and particularly if it has parking and really big rooms and all the rest of it, or particularly you would have, I imagine, you know, the particularly ornate, pretty Queenslander, real authentic really that's been jacked up and location that's been built on a flood that's zone, been restored. It's not flood affected. It doesn't have overland flow. It's in a location where there aren't lots of units and townhouses around it. I mean, there's there's all sorts of factors that drive the demand to those sorts of unique and scarce properties because they're just not building them anymore and there isn't any more inner city land that can be produced. 
You can't release subdivisions in established character areas. Um, no. And that demand just consistently stays in those sorts of areas where you can't increase supply of a good product. And you can't build a Victorian row of terraces again because it's not Victorian. doesn't make money. doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't make money for the developer. It doesn't make money for the developer. But, you know, and it's like anyone who tries to fake an old house, you know, they build it so it looks like a new, like an old house that they never, ever never get the works. proportions right. It doesn't have the charm. <laughs> and it's those things that those, they're almost intangible. They're, they're tangible in one regard, but they're intangible in another. And, and so those things are valuable. So pricing properties and what goes up, what goes down, why prices would go up or go down, you can understand. We've just sort of given you a very broad a overview few today. things, yeah, that influence the rise and fall of property prices. During our three-year journey to help first-time buyers, we have found an increasing number of you want us to help you guide them on your rent vesting journey. So, due to popular demand, we are bringing you the very first Where to Buy Workshop Investor Edition. We are indeed. And this is very exciting for us, I tell Mm. you. This is the culmination of over 40 years' experience that we're going to teach you step-by-step, not where you should buy, but... this is not the answer. (laughs) This is not the golden bullet. (laughs) Not the silver bullet. It is, we're going to teach you how to properly research this vast wild country of ours to be able to work out where you should look to investigate to buy your investment property. It's a really, really important skill that you learn how to critically look at data, information, what the important things are, and we're going to teach you how to do it. When are we going to do it? We're doing it on the, Veronica, I don't have that in front of me. Oh, well, that's okay. I'll step in because we're a team and we are going to do the Where to Buy Workshop Investor Edition on Wednesday, the 24th of November, 2021, 7 till 9 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. So that's basically Sydney, Melbourne time, 6 Six till to 8, 8 if you're in, in Brisbane. Brisbane. And I can't remember if you're in Adelaide and elsewhere, but basically live to you on Wednesday, 24th of November, we are bringing you the Where to Buy workshop. So if you want to tune in, the link is in the show notes. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.